You're listening to Leveling Up, where we'll show you how to win at the game of life and business. It's time to power up your skills through life gamification with your host, Eric Sue. Okay, everyone. Today, we have Derek O'Carroll, who is the CEO of Bright Pearl, which is a scalable retail operations platform designed specifically for high-growth multi-channel retailers wishing to automate and integrate their e-commerce and accounting operations. That's a mouthful of stuff. I'm going to actually let Derek unpack what that is. But Derek, (laughs) first and foremost, welcome. How are you? Thanks very much. I'm in top form. Tickety-boo, as they say. Tickety boo. Well. That's the first time I've ever heard that tickety boo. I'm going to use that. But great <laughs> to have you here. The way I like to start these usually is to talk about kind of what your story is and what kind of led you up to Bright Pearl because I know you joined in 2016, correct? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. My background trained as a chemist, got into startups in the 90s, did four startups across security, B2B, and e commerce. Last one was sold into a large company called Symantec. Had my first kid. Wife said, no more startups, please. I was interested in understanding, because I'm a startup guy, interested in understanding how big companies work, because that would be important to compete against at the later stage. Found myself in a really interesting role there, whereby we were effectively the the landing and launch pad for acquisitions. And that company was very acquisitive. I think we did nine acquisitions in seven years. Then on my 10th anniversary, I said, right, enough's enough. And I went back to the real world looking for something that was in a market that was undergoing a lot of disruption, really good products, maybe some challenges on the product market fit. Did some research, found Bright Pearl and Jordan 2016. Awesome. Just to be clear, I mean, you were, when you're at Norton, you're responsible for 1.7 billion with a B in global revenue. Is that correct? That's correct. Yeah, I was running sales and marketing, field sales and marketing there. And then before that, I was in charge of a half a billion dollar division in Germany. So I was an Irish man sent over to Germany to do restructuring <laughs> and a turnaround of the business there at the time which is a challenge because those listeners who work in Europe, you know, you come across workers' councils and that was a real learning curve, but really delightful. Loved working with the German crew. A lot of fun. Great. I do want to talk about turnarounds as well, but I guess coming back to to Bright Pearl. So how does the business work? How do you guys make money? Cool. So just to touch upon on what we do, we essentially manage all of the complexities that arise after the buy button. So if you're a merchant and you're trying to ship boxes across countries in currencies, multiple warehouses, across drop shipping, all that complexity needs to be managed and ultimately automated. So you've got less human error. And the reason why that's important is human error is the source of bad reviews. And all of your listeners know that bad reviews are a killer for margin. So that's essentially what we do. What was the question again? Yeah, no, no, that was really helpful context, by the way. How does the business work, which you kind of explained, and how do you guys make money? Our customers on board with us, because we're a cloud solution, we are configurable, so we're not customizable. So making sure that we map our offering to a customer's needs is really important for us because we want that customer for seven, nine years. We basically go through a scoping exercise before people sign, and then we get people to sign off a document, which we call user acceptance testing when they go live. And then once they go live, they essentially are in a subscription model. They pay for the service linked to the size of business using a value of gross merchandising volume, so the size of volume. And we sell access to pricing plans which allow you to know what your costs are going to be, whether you're 50 million to 70 million GMV or 5 million to 10 million. We give you complete pricing transparency. And because we're a configurable solution, you're not going to find yourself in the position where you're getting bills in from third-party system integrators in a non-foreseen way. Your costs are your costs. And that pricing transparency is really important for clients 
who are working in the worlds that we live in today. Got it. And so correct me if I'm wrong here. So you guys are a software as a service solution, right? And are you guys targeting mostly mid-market to enterprise? We focus on merchants who are trading across multiple channels, physical and online. So their own store using things like Amazon. And we focus on retailers who are established. So definitely beyond a million dollars in terms of GMV, anything below that we won't go near, up to 250 million GMV, which you know, Gartner, one of the analysts out there would define as small business. So beyond that is mid-market and then enterprises like the Fortune 500. We don't do that. Got it. Okay, great. I mean, I'm looking at your experience right now. So you, you founded Ireland's first online advertising agencies, right? Agency. Yeah, I um, that was good fun. And yeah. so you've done a lot of different, like, okay, XML security solutions and then Norton, and then now you're, you're with Bright Pearl. So I guess what has been consistent across those different types of experiences that you can share? And then also maybe some kind of differentiators, I guess. Yeah, well, they were all markets at their time going through a degree of disruption or they were brand new because like e-commerce back in the day, people wanted websites that you could transact commerce on. So you were linking early databases to websites. Obviously, that's all off the truck now with things like Shopify. But back then, that was a big area. And then when we got into security, it was about different certificates, digital certificates being used to certify identity. And the problem was there was many different certificates. So there was nothing to interoperate, make them talk to each other. So that was an interoperability play. So what I look for is the ability to have a very clean line of differentiation against the competition or the alternative that my target market would have. And what I like to do is really understand what a product does in the context of the jobs of work that an end user would hire that product for and be able to explain that to a non-technical individual and break it down into jobs of work per hour, per day, per month, per quarter, because it changes over time. And then out of that understanding, really pick three things that we're going to do better than the competition, the targeted competition or the targeted alternative if the competition doesn't yet exist, and be super maniacal and focused on getting high-energy individuals that have a natural disposition for problem-solving that can also take complexity to simplicity to get that clean messaging and focus like heck and do that thing that most people forget to do, which is just deliver quality repetition of the basics around those differentiators. And then the last thing is make sure that team trust each other. And so they give each other the feedback loops and don't end up in a situation where you've got seven companies inside one small company, which is a disaster. Okay. And are there, I mean, I love this type of stuff, right? I, I guess maybe I'm wondering out loud, are there any types of, you talk about keeping people aligned, you talk about jobs to be done. Are there any type of frameworks, books, coaching stuff that you've been through? Because sometimes I was just reading something yesterday on Twitter about, I think this was on Facebook, but how companies really help foster or develop leadership internally, right? And I think there's a lot of things that it's hard to kind of dig out from people. So is there anything that you've kind of leaned upon, frameworks, anything like that? I'm in the tech world, obviously. So at a high level, one of the big areas I focus on is making sure that we recognize who are the introverts and who are the extroverts within a team just at day one. I obviously recognize that through experience, but then I use mechanisms, assessment mechanisms, and I invest in the team, in particular the leadership team, to get the right behavior through the organization to make sure that they understand how to talk to each other. And I know that sounds very basic, but organizations really fail to recognize that it's how people talk to each other is the foundation of the strongest competitive differentiator you can build because anyone can catch up with you on product. You know, they can build what you have, they can match your pricing. But getting high performance teams is all literally about how they get to work to each other. So what I like to do is when we build teams, we invest in using techniques like Advanced 360, where to put it into layman terms, 
you interview people who work with an individual, you ask the person what they think they are perceived as within an organization, and then you shine a mirror back on them to show them what they really are perceived as. And then you educate them on whether they're an introvert or an extrovert using things like Myers-Briggs or stuff like that. And that is foundational in getting the first building block of a high-performing team in. And then you have to get seriously focused on operational and train your leadership team, especially if they're young and new and it's their first gig. Train them on the importance of establishing feedback loops, formal feedback loops, and train them on how to manage the one commodity that they have control over, which is their time, and structure their time to lean into the business proactively. If you put those three things together, you've got a good chance of being able to get a high-performing team, and then you can release product faster, better messaging, all that sort of good stuff comes from that. If you ignore that, you become the thing that investors don't really like, which is a CEO-led business, which is great at the beginning, but not a disaster. Obviously, you've got some of the best companies in the world that are like that. But if you unpeel them, they actually follow that old maxim of, you know, to be successful, make yourself dispensable. And that's really important there. That's what I like to focus on. And then on the product side, you ask for a book recommendation. I think one of the best books out there is Avoid the Build Trap when you're building product because startups love to listen to customers and go crazy building features. And that's actually the last thing you need to do. Well, you obviously need to do it, but... Yeah. It's the trap. I love that. What I heard there was, I don't know if advanced 360 is a product or that is that more of the just, is that just, hey, do an advanced 360? Yeah. No, it's the process by which you get people to understand how they actually are perceived in an organization, how they work. And then that helps other people engage them with them in, a, in an efficient manner. Obviously, the thing I forgot to mention is you've got to, as a leader, bring to the table a high degree of transparency to create empathy and then trust because none of that works if no one trusts you. Right. Okay. So 360 reviews I've heard of, I mean, we use it with our employee engagement tool, 15.5. Advanced 360, I'll have to look into. And you use Myers-Briggs. Do you use anything else? Because I know internally we use StrengthsFinder a lot and that it's crystal clear there. So is there anything else that you like to use from an assessment standpoint? No, I'm, I'm past in my years of looking for different tools. I've got mine and I use them and they work and I don't have any others. Got it. No, I love that. The focus is great. What kind of numbers can you share around the business? Anything you're open to sharing around customer growth, employee growth, revenue, et cetera? Yeah, sure. So I joined in 2016. I'll put it in context for us. I joined in 2016. The reason why I joined was the company had a great product, but the product market fit was wrong. So it was pointed to the wrong part of the market. So what I mean by that is back to the comment on jobs of work. When I looked at the jobs of work and then I interviewed the people that they sold the product to, there was a mismatch. The product was too complex for the people we sold it to. They didn't have enough time in the day to see the value in the product. So that meant that the product market fit was wrong. And so I engaged on a pretty much a playbook approach to turn the business around and point it at the right customer and in doing so then create the right customer economics. So what we've done over that period is we've 5x the average order value of a contract in a year. Like I think when I joined, it was under $5,000 subscription per year. And now we're at $38,000 or $40,000 per year. When I joined, North America was 10% of our business. Now it's 60% of our business. That was obviously central to the strategy. We're just over 100 employees. We're about 15 million of revenue. We're growing in the US. New business bookings is about 100%. It's actually over 100%. By the way, that's pre-COVID-19, just to be frank. I can talk about what our response to COVID is in a minute. And we're taking along at about 40% growth on the revenue stack. And we entered into the holy grail of break-even 
in Q4 last year, just before COVID hit and we're funded, we've taken a stance on COVID that this is the one event that all of us have been wrong. You know, when it broke out, any discussions are, oh, should this be over in two weeks? Everyone was wrong. So we've taken a pretty bearish view that we've got to gear the business to ensure that we come out the other side stronger. So we've geared our finances to get through to December 21 on a depressed basis, which I hope doesn't happen, but it's prudent, I think, to operate like that. Got it. Yeah, I do want to talk about that in in a second, but you talked about time to value, talked about product market fit. I guess that actually goes into one of your passion points, which is customer success. So I'm guessing, you know, when you're trying to figure out product market fit coming into this thing, what were you doing from a customer success standpoint that allowed you to move in the right direction? Well, the answer lies in the fact that when you join a company and you do that analysis of the jobs of work, you always find gaps in what you don't do versus the competition, in particular, if you're pointing up market. And then you have to figure, well, how do I beat the bigger guys when I don't have the product features just 100%? I've got most of them, but not all of them. And then you recognize that, well, hang on a minute, those big companies are always going to have bigger R&D budgets than I do. So how do I beat them in that paradigm? And that's where you sit down with the team and you say, okay, well, let's see what are the non-functional differentiators we can look at. And then that's sort of like, you know, I mentioned earlier on, pick a competitor. We picked one large company and we said, okay, every customer we spoke to about that company, they really complain about their pricing. It's acquire low, it's retain high, it's full of hidden costs. So we chose one of our non-functional differentiators to beat them will be pricing transparency. That's just a tick. Nothing on the product, that's just one. And then the second one would be, hey, they take a long time to get live because of the fact that they've got a lot of features. So why don't we focus on the fact that we can go live very quickly and have a very cool time to value return very fast? So we chose that as a non-functional differentiator. And then the third one was the customers who we interviewed in blind testing that we did. This is three years ago. They said, you know what? I signed with that company. They took the money and then they disappeared. And then they just called me for renewal. So that classic, I'm sure your listeners are very used to that. So we said, right, okay, let's plan out the customer journey we want our customers to have in a perfect world post-contract signing, and let's make it a non-functional differentiator. So we invested in my passion, which is customer success, and the concept of when you sell and you get the contract, that's just the beginning, right? Because at that point, your job is to keep that customer for seven years. So you have to have a process in place where you're reporting back to the customer on what they're doing well on the platform and what they're not doing well not two weeks before their renewal, all the way through the year. And then that you build a customer success team, typically by promoting the smartest folks out of your support group with the right personalities. And you help that customer success team show your customer how to get the most out of what they've bought and always record what is the past value delivered against the objectives that they set out when they bought the thing in the first place. So we're passionate about that. But the key thing is that was a non-functional differentiator. So by deploying those three, fast deployment, pricing, and customer success, guess what? It allowed us to grow, but it bought us time to focus our dollars on our platform to then build out the product differentiator, which for us was a thing called automation because we're configurable. We've got this really powerful, easy-to-use automation no one really wants to dial into an ERP solution to see how the orders are going. You want to just manage that stuff by exception and make changes based on whether you're making margin or not. I just think not enough people in the SaaS world are customer obsessed. 
right? To use yeah. the, the Jeff Bezos term, right? So, and you mentioned, by the way, you mentioned time to value. So I guess for you guys to figure that out, what, you know, obviously Facebook's like, oh, we need 10 friends, you know, Twitter's like X amount of tweets or whatever. How did you nail down the time to value metric coming into it? Well, the first thing is to work with the client to understand what are they doing today? And that's usually an audit of time spent. And it's usually an understanding of what their staff turnover is because when staff come and go, the cost goes to the owner of the business to, to retrain that staff. It's a real hidden cost there. And then once we understood the number of hours that we've been put in, you can very quickly see the amount of hours that they are spending doing stuff. But then what we did was we linked that to the end customer, which was the comment I said earlier about customer reviews. And human error is the source of the main drivers for poor customer reviews. Customer reviews erode margin by eroding return business, as you know. That was hugely important for us then to design an engagement where we could target certain parts of the product that would address those inefficiencies quickly. And we got it down to typically we deploy in 90 calendar days and 18 billable days from a pro-serve perspective. Just to put that into context, a typical ERP deployment takes about a year. So we've got it way down. The benefit of that is it frees up resources through automation. So the clients take that resource and they put it where it belongs in the front of house, pricing, website, PR, product development, not dealing with operations, which all should be automated. Got it. Okay. We're working towards wrapping up here. I do want to talk about your COVID response. So you're working with a lot of retailers. I guess what happened and how did you guys respond? Yeah. So new business sales were clocking along, as I said earlier, on 100% year on year. We had record beating January, February, and then boom, confidence just eroded. So March, we did, I think it was 18% of new business, right? So we basically lost 80% of our normal run rate. Wow. And the close rate of new business went from 30%. We typically close 30% of the pipe and we closed 16%. So it was just like, ooh, wow. And that was because confidence, just no one knew what to do and no one was signing. And by the way, it's really important to get people to commit. And when confidence goes, you can forget it, right? But luckily then we saw April completely do a flip around. As people realized that physical was basically dying and they needed to get online really quickly, we're a platform that enables that. So we saw a complete turnaround in April, where we actually now have the largest pipeline we've ever seen, largest forecast. I mean, we're now inundated, right? But here's the rub. At the beginning of it, we didn't know what was going to happen. So I went to the team and said, listen, we've got to survive on December 21. We don't know how many breakouts there are going to be. But let's be clear about one thing. We don't want to lose any staff because we are going to rebound once confidence comes back. So I basically got the team to, because we're break-even business and I want to maintain that profile, we got the team to agree to four days of pay for five days work. And I took a pay cut to lead the way and my team took a pay cut. And we basically said, listen, we got to do this. We got to do it together. We take the pain. And then we went to our investors and we asked them to top up the option pool so that we could reward people from that without breaking any tax rules, obviously. So we took that really conservative approach. And just to give your listeners a view, I had said, I think 80% of new business will go away for three quarters. And I said, churn will double. And that's what I built into the model to result in that. But of course, that hasn't happened. We're actually flying. But I don't know if a second outbreak might happen. You just don't know. So we're watching it every day and watching it very carefully. And we're looking at a couple of really important leading indicators. What's the close rate of the pipeline? And what's the trending of the bad debt provisions? In other words, my customer's not paying me. And then lastly, I would say we do about $3 billion of invoice orders through the system every year. And we saw a picture of winners and losers in March. You know, anyone who was selling goods to do with the house, 
or fitness or health, boom, like three, 400% growth. Anything to do with luxury goods, high net worth, like just completely the opposite. But it's funny, over the last two weeks, we've seen that invert. Everyone's stocked up on goods for the home. And now we're seeing fashion beginning to rise again, especially younger fashion. So it's a moving feast, winners and losers, and it's changing every month as people respond. We have customers in 20 countries because we're multi-currency, and it's really interesting. The consumer behavior is changing rapidly. So confidence, you could see the last two weeks in the UK is really strong, but in the US, sort of declining. Yeah. You know, it's fascinating. So it's a fluid situation. You guys could do, I mean, with that data, you guys can make some really cool reports with that, which I'm sure you have already. Yes. Yeah, no, we, we've got data, a lot of data, but obviously, you know, our marketing team have access to that and they'll be, they put that out quite a lot. We have a lot of customers that are proving the maximum that in times of uncertainty, you need to be super flexible. And that's the benefit of having a platform like BriarPearl is you're flexible. You could be direct to consumer, you could be to B2B, you know, it's all about the flexible business model. Yeah. I think the key takeaway right here, at least one of the key takeaways for me is that you acted very swiftly. You don't know what's going to happen in the future, but thankfully things are coming back around and, you know, let's hope it continues to be that way. Oh yeah. I mean, we are worried about, you know, we saw the confidence shock, but now what we're worried about is the supply side shock. Because when you've got commoditized people selling product online, the supply chain gets to lock up in this situation. So we're a little bit worried about that. And that's why we're remaining bearish. Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. Cool. So Derek, working towards wrapping up two rapid fire questions for you. What is one tool that you've added in the last year that's added a lot of value to your life? So it could be like an aura ring. It could be like an app. It could be like a, I don't know, Peloton bike. Oh, I'm sorry to be boring, but we added Slack, which has been incredible. And then we added a little, it's very small, but it's a little AI app plugin called Donut, which we've used very successfully. It's a Slack to, plugin, right? It's a Slack plugin. Yeah. It basically just sets up random meetings with your team workers. So it allows me, it randomly books in meetings with my team um, with over 100 people. That's really cool. So I get up in the morning and I say, oh, I'm talking to Dan and support today. And we have a good chat. I check in, see how they're doing. So it's just, it's a way of just making up for not being around the coffee machine at work and being truly remote, which of course we all are. So I've liked that. Got it. I love that. I just sent that to our ops person. Can you look at the donut? <laughs> so the donut, um, man. also... What is one must-read book you'd recommend it on? It could be business, could be just whatever you have in mind, productivity, whatever. I'm really enjoying, it's not a business book, I'm sorry, but I'm reading The Rubicon by Tom Holland at the moment, which is fascinating. It's about the journey of the Roman Empire from the Republic to the Caesar-led dictatorship. So I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, you should have a read of that, guys. Oh, interesting. Okay, we'll drop that in the show notes. But Derek, this has been great. What is the best way for people to find you online? Twitter, skybrightpearl.com. I'm not the best on online, I must admit. I'm not the most active Twitter user. I need to, my marketing team are always giving out to me, quite frankly, <laughs> on that. But uh, brightpearl.com, drop me an email, Derek O'Carroll, one word, at brightpearl.com, and I'll come back to you guys. Cool. All right. Thanks so much for doing this. Everyone go check out Bright Pearl. Cheers, Eric. Thanks very much, man. You may have completed this level, but many more bosses await. If you're looking to level up in marketing or business, just go to singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up to get access to our individual and team training programs. That's singlegrain.com forward slash leveling dash up.